Father in heaven, Matt's already reminded us this morning that you are generous. And you pour down your blessings on us in so many ways. And so we pray as we think about this passage, in one sense a difficult, complicated, heavy passage, might we know something more of what it means to to accept and to enjoy the generous things that you have given us and yet to steward them well. In Jesus' name, amen. Probably um, tells you something of our age and stage as a family, but we have recently been watching um, a series of films based on the books The Hunger Games. Um, Some of you will be aware of them, um, others won't. Um, It's slightly dark in places, but it's a kind of classic teenage protagonist, dystopian future, divided humanity, it's the world or America, um, and it's gone to pot, and they're separated into 13 different districts, different states, Um, Each one contributes something to the whole. You've got a farming zone, you've got a a mining zone, a fishing zone, a peacekeeping, wood and paper, electrics, and and there's massive poverty in many of the different districts, most of the different districts. And yet you have District 1, the capital district. They are the guys in charge. They are the ones who live in horrific, decadent extravagance, affluence. It's disgusting. They control and they abuse and they mistreat and... We read James 5, verse 1 to 6, and it feels a bit like a message for them, a message for that capital district, those who live at the top of the pile at the expense of everyone else. They're selfish. They are subduing. They are subjugating the rest of humanity in all their extravagance. And so he starts off, James 5, verse 1, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. If you were here last week, do you remember the big idea that we thought about again and again and again? Do you remember it? We get too big, he gets too small. I guess that's always the danger for the double-minded. It's always the tendency for those who aren't entirely sure whether to completely entrust themselves to Jesus. We get too big, he gets too small. And I think this week the, the tone changes but it's a similar train of thought. It's a similar vein. Um, I don't know if you thought as Michelle read it, it feels very kind of Old Testament prophet in the words. It's God speaking his words to the surrounding nations. It, It feels like his patience with them has run out and they are being severely warned. Now listen, listen, you rich people. If you've been here in previous weeks, you will know there is this thing going on in the church there that he keeps writing about. As a church, it seems they were showing favoritism to the rich. Do you remember back in chapter 2? I think Phil was preaching on it for us. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, But say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now it could be that he is speaking to them, to those rich people who have come in and have the preferential treatment and the nice seats, the ones with the cushions. Maybe that scenario has actually happened. And so as he says to them, now listen, you rich people, they are there listening I think what's going on, though, is actually James is painting a picture for us. And he's painting a picture of a man. We're going to call him Richie Rich. He is a hypothetical landowner. He is a fictitious fellow 
Because you notice there's no brother or sister, as James writes. There's no warmth in this bit of the letter. The kind of warmth we've had in previous paragraphs, in previous weeks. There's no evidence here that they are believers. And so do you see, he speaks to Richie Rich in, in very harsh terms. He is warning him. But as he speaks to this fictitious guy, he knows everyone else is listening in. He knows that we're listening in, even. I mean, just imagine it being read out in church, perhaps. Some of them, they are encouraged, because James is saying the kind of stuff that they really want him to say. They are downtrodden, they are oppressed, they are abused, they are mistreated. And as the words are coming out, there are these fist bumps of joy. Yes. Yes. Someone's listening. Intakes of breath. There are nods, there are smiles, there's a ha ha. And yet maybe for others in the room, it suddenly gets a bit quiet and a bit awkward. Because as James is speaking to fictitious Richie Rich, they hear those words coming to them. And the message that ought to be ringing in their ears is this. It's beware of wealth. Beware of wealth. Last week, we talked quite a lot about the financial crisis at the moment about the way in which it will be hard. It is hard and it will be hard. And yet maybe that hardship will reveal something of what's going on inside us and our hearts. Our fears and our anxiety and our concerns on the outside revealing something of what's going on on the inside of us. And I know things are difficult for some and things will get more difficult. There will be hard decisions that will have to be made and belts will have to be tightened. And... But I think James says to us, beware of wealth. Why? Well, three eyes for us this week. The first eye is this, is indulgence. Have a look down again. You see the extravagance and you see the luxury going on in the church. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Or again, verse 5, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Wealth doesn't last. It's an image of waste. It's an image of hoarding, of gathering possessions and piles of stuff that's never used. It's the rows and rows and rows of clothing in the cupboards that have never been worn, eaten by moths, piles of shoes, but with the labels still on them, drawers full, wardrobes full, wasted and ruined, says James. Or verse 3, there seem to be boxes of jewellery, corroded and rusty gold and silver. Now I know, strictly speaking, gold and silver don't corrode or rust. But James is painting a picture for us like a prophet. They didn't want to use them, they just wanted to have them, to gather, to accumulate. And that will be an issue for some of us. The idea of collecting, of amassing, of of gathering stuff, of finding our worth in what we have, is very common, it's very Western. It's the keeping up with the Joneses, it's who's got the right stuff, who's sporting the right brands. I think it's why we love TK Maxx so much. It's why it's so popular, isn't it? It's because it's the right brands, but slightly cheaper, because it's from a year or two ago. 
And we assess people by the car that they drive and the clothes that they wear and the brands that they have and the stuff that they sport and the house that they live in and the postcode that they reside in. And, and yet verse 3, their corrosion will testify against you. The things that we have show what drives us. They show something of the reality of our hearts. Now, before you go home and give all your stuff away on Gumtree, I think we need to take care because as Christians, we so easily do get this wrong. We do have a tendency to fall off the horse on on this side or that side or maybe even on both sides, depending on what day of the week it is. Um, Last week, last Saturday, we were thinking with Matt about the idea that God is generous. He is a giver. He pours out kindness. He pours out goodness day after day after day. And it's not wrong that we enjoy them. It's not wrong that we enjoy them guilt-free. To deny his gifts, in part, will be to deny his goodness and his generosity. He doesn't make a dull and drab and grey world, a world of magnolia. But rather, it's a creation of colour and taste and vibrancy and extravagance. And he is a generous giver and he loves to give his children good gifts. So we don't spurn the good gifts from God. But we're not to take great stock in them either. And that can be a really hard balance. That can be a really hard balance for wisdom. Jesus spoke again and again and again about money. Because he knows that our our hearts get drawn in. And he urged us, don't put your your treasure in your hearts where things can perish and and spoil and fade, but rather your treasure in heaven that will last. That should be your focus. That, That ought to be where we're looking. Not for the hoarding, not for the saving, not for the security, not for the here and now, but for the there and then. Do you remember the um, parable of the rich farmer that he told? It's Luke chapter 12. It's this guy, he builds himself bigger barns. He has a bumper crop, so he builds bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns. Do you remember it? Luke 12, 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? We said, I'm not hoarding. I need 40 pairs of shoes, or I need all that tech, or I need my stocks and my shares and, and mountains of savings and all the cars and all the tech and all the houses. And our value doesn't come from what we have, and our security doesn't come from what we have. And we have a Father in heaven who's generous and who loves us and who's got us. And we need to make sure we live as if that is true and that it's not all about us. It's not about us being so big and him being so small, but trusting him as our generous Father. I think if you want to think about how, maybe here's something to take away. Um, As believers, we can do money well, And Proverbs 30, verse 8 to 9, is a really good place to start. It's a famous little verse. Um, uh, The writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Neither poverty nor riches. Maybe another good question to ask is, could you give it away? 
could you give whatever it is away? Or does it have this sort of golem-like hold over you, shaping you, capturing you? And the precious that we have in our hands or in the bank or whatever, it begins to shape us. And do you remember the way that Gollum starts to refer to himself as my precious? Not just the ring, it's himself. As if the thing that he has shapes him. And we become like the thing that's captivated us. And we begin to be shaped by it. First point, indulgence. Beware of wealth, indulgence. Secondly, beware of wealth, injustice. Have a look at verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And sadly, there are very real examples in antiquity of this, just this kind of scenario happening. There's a commentator who quotes from a book called The Life of Apollonius, maybe a century or so after James. Um, and he says, the people were living on siege rations because the ruling class had put the entire supply of grain under lock and key so that they could export it at an even greater profit. It's kind of real-life historical hunger games. Not fiction. But we don't have to go to antiquity. The poor are still exploited today. The rich can still hoard, still take advantage, still use their power at the expense of others. And so here in James, the landowners haven't paid their workers. They've got workers in the fields. And for them not to be paid, well, they've probably not got savings. In a subsistence economy, it may well mean they don't eat that week. They're taken advantage of. In verse 6, we see how appalling the situation is. It says they condemned and they murdered the innocent one. It's a It's a bit of a strange line. There may be more going on to it, but at the least it shows how bad things are. Innocent people are are dying because they've been taken advantage of. And God cares. The injustice spoken about, it's there in verse 4. It's very stark. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. It's an interesting little collection of words. It's a phrase that's got strong echoes again from the Old Testament. Think, Cain murders Abel and his blood cries out from the ground to the Lord. Think, Israel in Egypt, in slavery, crying out to the Lord and he hears. Or think that the temple, it's built, it's consecrated, it's prayed over, God's people, when they cry out to him in distress, what will he do? He will hear, he will answer, he will help them. And here, their unpaid wages are crying out against them. Indeed, the the unpaid themselves are crying out to God, and he hears. And nobody else may have heard. And maybe they thought they were ignored. Maybe they thought their prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling, but God heard. And the constant drumbeat of the scriptures is that God is very concerned with the poor and the oppressed, with the orphan and the widow and the foreigner, with those who have no power, those who are helpless and they know they are helpless. They've got nowhere to go and so they can only go to him. And he cares. It's not survival of the fittest. Their worth is simply in them as people. Not not from what we can get from them, not from their status in any way. 
but just a value in being made in his image. Um, There'll be all kinds of avenues for application here. No doubt home groups will have more of a chance to ponder and to pray this week. If, If you're not in a home group, we'd love you to be in one. But some thoughts here. When when we get too big, when he gets too small, number one, we can easily ignore the plight of others directly. And it, it may simply be that you are in charge of others and you need to make sure that they are looked after, they are cared for, they are paid properly, not to take people for granted, not to, to see them as a means to get things done or equipment to fulfill some kind of a task, just a bit of a cog in the machine rather they have worth. And it seems to me we live increasingly in a world where people are, are not valued when they are dehumanized. It's interesting, it's one of the things I love about reading Jesus in the Gospels is that he just values people. He loves and cares for normal people. He always had time, particularly perhaps for the marginalized, particularly for the excluded, particularly for the looked down upon. It's beautiful. And he was especially gentle with people like that. And so they cry out, and God is watching. God does hear. God cares. And we can directly impact others when we get too big and he gets too small. But the slightly more complicated one, actually, is that our lifestyle can indirectly impact others too. Particularly in the comparative wealth that we enjoy in the West. And so the purchasing decisions that we make, the clothes that we wear, the food that we buy, the stuff that we have, can all adversely affect others. I think we're getting better at thinking about this, but it's something we'll need to continue carefully praying about and considering. Our shopping habits, simply put, can further injustice globally. And so it's passages like this that make me feel quite uncomfortable. We need to care, to take the time to ask the questions, to do the research, to make the wise decisions. Who made those items that you are wearing now? Do we care? How much do we care? So beware of wealth, number one, indulgence. Number two, injustice. Number three, we can end up thinking we are impregnable, which means we think our money and our stuff and our status and all of the things of the now can protect us forever. Spoiler alert, at the end of Hunger Games, the capital is toppled. Justice is seen again. Also verse 5b, second half of verse 5, you have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. Just like with the Jesus' parable of the farmer, the tangible here and now, the hoarding and the extravagance can inoculate us against the reality that God is God and that one day he will judge and he will do so fairly and we will all agree with it. We can so easily forget this is not all there is because the stuff that we gather around us and feels so physical and permanent and but this is not all there is one of the commentators I was reading on this um, told of a story of living near a turkey farm 
And on their daily walk around the area, getting some fresh air, they would enjoy nature, they would clear their head, they would get the steps in, they would do some gentle exercise, and they would walk past the turkey farm, and they would see them growing bigger and bigger and getting well-fed and thriving. And August turns into September and October, and autumn arrives, and he's still out walking, and then they disappear. And they've gone fattened up and then slaughtered oblivious to what was coming, oblivious to the reality of their life. Well, so these rich landowners, they fatten themselves up, but death is still inevitable. Justice will be seen. They are oblivious to the fact they will have to answer to their maker. Answer to their maker for how they've treated those made in his image. And I'm aware that idea of judgment is in itself massively countercultural. Because the air that we breathe either says, well, this is all there is, and so we're going to make the most of it. We're going to squeeze every last drop out of it. I'm not going to waste a second. I'm not going to miss anything. That's why we all have FOMO. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry and not miss out on that party or this thing. Or it's not just this is all there is. It's, well, if there is, on the off chance, there is some kind of afterlife or judgment, I'm bound to be okay. I've not been too bad. I'm a nice guy. I've been true to myself. I've not murdered anybody, at least not physically. But what if this isn't all there is? What if, as Matt was teaching the children, reminding us, and we saw last week, this is just missed. We are missed. We're here for a bit. Just here for a bit and then we're gone. And yet we've got too big and he's got too small and, and we might do all that we can to forget death, to forget our mortality, to forget the, the reality of what's coming. We might try and forget death, but we can't avoid it. What if it's not all about now? What if Jesus was right and, and we will die and he will be the one who judges us? And only those who have trusted in, trusted in him, standing in front of a perfect and just God, will be safe. We can't stand before him on the final day. Look at how much money I've saved. Look at all the shoes I've got. Look at all the stuff. I've got the latest iPad. Don't work. It doesn't work. Money has such a way of sucking our hearts sucking us in and telling us lies and sending us off track and we place our hope in the wrong thing. And we live in a world, we live in a city that cares so much about money in one sense. And we might look stupid in front of everyone else, but I think James says to us, beware of wealth. Beware of wealth. Indulgence, injustice, impregnable. Beware of wealth. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so generous to us. And we pray that we would use the things that you give us in a way that brings you glory. We're sorry for indulgence at times. We're sorry for not considering injustice 
And we're sorry for thinking that we can be impregnable, that we forget this is not all there is. We're sorry for when we trust in the wrong things. Help us to steward our money as believers, as those who follow Jesus, and not just like everyone else. In his name we pray. Amen.